Welcome once again to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. I'm Tony. And uh, we're at the penultimate chapter of uh, James Anderson. that Anderson's. like next to the last? Yeah. Yeah, right. okay. It's a fancy word. <laughs> yeah. College men around here. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're uh, getting ready to finish up uh, James Anderson's Why Should I Believe Christianity? And we've been going through it and learning uh, if there are good reasons uh, to believe uh, Christianity to be true. So he's kind of made a, a, a case of kind of the best and showed that the Christian worldview is at least uh, internally uh, consistent within itself. And there are points that you can't just uh, pull apart and uh, view individually. And so... Uh, and basically he argued, you know, you can't explain anything without God's existence, right? You need you need God in order to explain anything. Good presuppositionalist. Uh, yeah. That's kind of the one that we go to, <laughs> the one we hang our hat on a lot. Uh, and so um, uh, we, we covered uh, the importance of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, no shock there, considering uh, the Christian aspect of the worldview part. And, uh, and Dr. Anderson kind of forms uh, everything like, yes, uh, you know, Jesus is a good person, he's a good teacher, uh, he's um, uh, known for within other uh, religions, but uh, the, the Christian presentation of him, uh, that, that he revealed himself uh, to, to his, his believers, what he said about himself, and ultimately his resurrection is important for our understanding of the Christian worldview and uh, the coherency uh, within itself. And so that's what, what uh, we're covering in chapter 7 called Defining Death. So he starts out by saying that one of the most appealing aspects of Christianity is its teaching about life, death, and life after death. So it doesn't end here, folks. <laughs> so according to the biblical Christian worldview, death isn't part of the original creation. The shadow of death that hangs over all of us is a consequence of a rebellion against God. It's just a penalty for our sin. The good news, though, is that God has provided a solution through his son who became one of us so that he could suffer the penalty of death in our place. So mm-hmm. all those foreshadowings in the Old Testament culminates in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And continuing on from there, the story doesn't just end at uh, you know the, the going up into the clouds and saying, uh, you know, get ready, I'll, 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 you know, the... Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger version. I'll be back, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that uh, I'll be back. That uh, that the the church abides and continues uh, to to do what Adam was supposed to do, what Israel was supposed to do, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately what Jesus did and set up and uh, carry on uh, to to the end times. But uh, Jesus uh, died, but he didn't stay dead. Darn. <laughs> On the third day, he rose from the dead and appeared alive to many people over the course of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And so uh, that's what uh, Dr. Anderson is going to be talking about in the rest of our chapter. Right, and of course, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most distinct, he tells us, and essential teachings of Christianity. It was central to the message preached by the first Christians. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, it's amazing how over and over and over again they talk about Jesus rising from the dead. Yeah. You know, we... In our modern day, when we witness and share the gospel, I don't think we talk a whole lot about the resurrection of Christ. But boy, do they do, do they do it? Mm-hmm. Um, they did it in the first century in the Book of Acts. Uh, the Apostle Paul stated, in fact, frankly, that if Jesus is still dead and buried, then Christianity is worthless, and Christians should be 
pitied for their false hope, right? <laughs> right. Um, so simply put, uh, Anderson tells us Christianity stands or falls on its claim that Jesus rose from the dead, that his tomb is empty and he is alive even now. And he, he says that, of course, this is quite an extraordinary claim. And so he asks, why should anyone believe it? All right. Right? <laughs> So he does say that, you know, it's it's hard to believe. He says, let's be honest, it's not easy to believe that a man who was uh, publicly executed returned from the dead three days later. So why do we believe it? We must be crazy. <laughs> the short answer is, well, because the Bible says so. Huh. However, that doesn't mean Christians believe it on the basis of blind faith, that is, without reason or evidence, or mm-hmm. trust. On the contrary, the reports of Jesus' resurrections in the New Testament are grounded in credible eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. Again, there's this idea and... It comes from, uh, you know, faults of our own, of, of not being clear on what faith is, but um, faith isn't this, this kind of uh, um, claim of, of knowledge. It's a claim of trust. We get our knowledge from uh, other avenues. And mm-hmm. so uh, when we talk about blind faith, uh, like uh, believing that uh, all that there is, is is physical and there's nothing beyond that, that would be kind of a, well, I, I just kind of believe that for right now. So. Yeah. So we, we, we have a, um, a definition here of blind faith, and Christians don't believe in the resurrection right, just because right. of blind there, faith. There are reasons. There is evidence, right? right? And he says uh, probably the question in, in folks' minds is not why Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but rather why they should believe it, mm-hmm. right? So he, 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 uh, he wants, what he wants to do in this chapter is um, he says he'll make the case that despite what anyone believes uh, or may assume, there are good reasons, uh, there are no good reasons, rather, not to believe in Jesus' resurrection and many good reasons to accept it. Right? Right. So no good reasons to reject it and many good reasons to accept it right. is what he's going to argue in this chapter. Right? And so, of course, we have to talk about the possibility of miracles, because this seems like a big deal. <laughs> so let's begin by dealing with some of the main objections to the resurrection. Clearly, if Jesus returned from the dead, that would be a miraculous event. Mm-hmm. Dead men usually stay dead. Right. That's, yeah. the, that's the claim. Uh, resurrections aren't natural events. That's right. The natural course of events is for dead people to stay dead. So if the resurrection actually occurred, it would require a supernatural cause to explain. There's some issues with that. Yeah, well, some people, he says, dismiss the claim that Jesus rose from the dead because they think miracles are impossible in principle, right? And this was actually one of the uh, one of David Hume's, mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, 1700 uh, philosopher, skeptic actually. This was one of his one of his claims, right? Miracles are impossible in principle. That is, miracles just can't happen. Now, he didn't really argue that. Hume argued a more, uh, so this is kind of a more ontological, metaphysical type of claim, right? It's impossible for it to happen. Hume's really, his argument had to do with how do we know a miracle happens? So we call that epistemological argument, right? Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, he does deal with this in his, uh, in his paper on miracles. So, you know, miracles can't happen is what some people claim, right? Every event has a natural cause, and of course, a miracle would violate the laws of nature. But the laws of nature can't be violated. If they could, they wouldn't be laws, right? So notice we have a really succinct and tight argument here, right? We say that every event has a natural cause, Mm -hmm. right? 
a miracle then would violate the natural cause of any event, right? It violate the laws of nature. Uh, of course, they can't be violated. And so, therefore, miracles can happen. So there it is, right? Tuck it away. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. Well, such thing is very common, but it's also very flawed. Laws aren't, by definition, unavoidable. Just think about the laws of logic, for example, which are regularly flouted. Yeah. yeah in fact, we, yeah, the laws can be violated, and they are violated all the time. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Strictly speaking, the laws of nature only describe how things proceed naturally. Hmm. That is how the natural universe behaves in normal circumstances. I always think of like you, uh, you, you drop a rock from a height, law of gravity, it's the law, it's got to obey it, and so it falls to the ground. It will always fall to the ground. Now you reach up and you catch the rock. Oh, you violated the laws of, <laughs> of gravity. The, the, the world is left and right, up is down, dogs yeah. and cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> what he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Enough, I get the point. <laughs> But the laws of nature, by definition, don't tell us anything about supernatural causes. Right, right. And so this is this is an interesting point, right? Uh, the laws of nature, yes, they do, you know, tell us how things generally and normally work, mm -hmm. right? But if we're talking about the existence of God and miracles and that sort of thing, we're not talking about how things generally and normally work. Mm -hmm. We're talking about supernatural, right, events where God intervenes, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, if there's a God who created this universe, then miracles, he tells us, must be possible, right? In fact, some have argued that uh, the biggest miracle is um, in Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. <laughs> in the beginning, yeah. God created the heavens and the earth, right? Oh, from, from a collection of things that he <laughs> yeah. watered and eventually yeah, grew. Right. No, no, from ex nihilo, from right. nothing. So he tells us to insist that miracles are impossible is really de to deny the existence of God, right? Right. And, but he's already argued that the most basic aspects of human experience, um, they don't need, um, uh, uh, you know, they, they only make sense uh, um, based on the existence of God. And so consequently, he says, every reason to believe in God is also a reason to believe that miracles are possible, that things can happen which defy any purely natural ex explanation. So if you believe in God, you have to believe in miracles. Right? Mm -hmm. The only reason you wouldn't believe in miracles is you don't believe in God. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right. And he says uh, this, uh, ironically for this reason, the popular idea that miracles conflict with science has things backwards. Oh, okay. So miracles conflict with science. How is that backwards? Well, science is only possible because the universe is the creation of an orderly, rational, personal God. Uh, same God who makes science possible also makes miracles possible. So in reality, those who deny the possibility of miracles are dismissing the Christian worldview from the onset without considering the actual evidence for it. And so, you know, the, the universe is chaotic and, uh, you know, it goes through this, this, this change process and uh, there's a, a system that uh, helps us in survival. It also forms chemicals in the stars. And so why wouldn't it continue to form and, and create things and why not universes within universes and yeah. you know, why does it have order why does it sustain itself why does it you know do all the things that we kind of take for granted why why do we look up at the night sky and we don't worry about the the uh, uh, 
implosion of of the atmosphere it just it happens to hold in the way that it does yeah and so wow. yes so, so yeah that's you know in the in the chaos of the universe that we're <laughs> we're supposed to be in awe of why are we in why aren't we in awe of the, the mundane of just it continuing right right so miracles both miracles and science are dependent on god in fact uh we use science right as a way to help us recognize miracles because science for them uh, at least to a certain extent tells us what's the natural order of things mm-hmm. how natural things and miracles are supernatural right so uh, so science doesn't conflict with miracles in fact it exposes miracles right because um Miracles are those things that happen outside of science that are supernatural, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I, I think he, he's on to something here, right? And uh, <laughs> um, C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, good book that uh, you let me borrow one time, and, of course, now I quote it endlessly, so uh, <laughs> you're to, to blame for, for getting me into Lewis more. But in this book, Miracles, he writes this. For this reason, the question whether miracles occur can never be answered simply by experience. Every event that might claim to be a miracle is, in the last resort, something presented to our senses, something seen, heard, touched, smelled, or tasted. And our senses are not infallible. If anything extraordinary seems to have happened, we can always say that uh, we have been the victims of an illusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hold a philosophy which excludes the supernatural. This is what we always shall say. What we learn from experience depends on the kind of philosophy we bring to experience. It is therefore useless to appeal to experience before we have settled as well as we can the philosophical question mm. so so you know lewis has this uh, uh, almost presuppositional view oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, he says it's based it on your worldview whether or not a right. miracle could right. happen and so let's look at your worldview first right your philosophy and uh, if your your if your philosophy rules out miracles, then of course nothing that you see here, taste, touch, or whatever will prove to you that a miracle has ha- uh, is a miracle. But if your philosophy doesn't rule out miracles, now you can look, we might say, objectively or at least, um, uh, you know, more objectively at events and make a, a certain kinds of decisions, right? right? Yeah, Determination. That's that uh, if. Uh if the impossible is the only uh, explanation left, then the impossible is, is you know, what you should go to. Yeah. And we, we talked uh, with Jay Warner Wallace about this in our interview. We asked him the question, you know, if, if, uh, if you're coming to a crime scene now and you have this uh, broader worldview of including the supernatural and uh, all, you know, kind of natural explanations are, are gone away with, would you tend towards the supernatural? He says, well, by the very fact that I do believe in the supernatural, if if it defied all natural ex- explanations, then the supernatural is still available to yeah, us to talk yeah, about. So, yeah. so, um, uh, so it gives us other uh, avenues, avenues to yep. help us to right. explain, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, what about the probability of miracles? Right. Even if miracles are possible, right? Because God exists and that sort of thing, it doesn't mm-hmm. follow. He tells us that it's reasonable. To believe any bizarre miracle claim that happens to come our way. And of course, that's true, right? We ought to be generally skeptical about miracle claims. That's what he says. Uh, if there's a plausible natural explanation for some phenomenon, we should prefer that over a supernatural explanation, right? We don't just willy-nilly believe in, in anything, you know, any, any account. Uh, if there is a natural explanation, that's what we should gravitate mm-hmm. toward. He says, however, that some critics of Christianity have taken this 
uh, what he calls default skepticism a step further and argue that natural explanations should always be preferred no matter what, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what he wants to take issue with, right. right? But it's a mistake to think that miracles are so intrinsically improbable that it could never be reasonable to believe one had actually occurred. To see this point, let's consider another kind of improbable event, winning the lottery. All right. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd love Great, to see that. Great thought experiment. <laughs> yeah. you know, just, just to be on the safe side, we should petition the government to let us you know, carry out this. That's right. That's right. That is, let us win, <laughs> uh, win the lottery. Is that yeah, Exactly. Yeah, works for me. Yeah. <laughs> so let's assume that uh, 10 million tickets are sold this week, and your friend Alex buys one ticket. Right. And that uh, every ticket has an equal chance of winning. So the odds of Alex winning the, the lottery this week are 1 in 10 million. Obviously, with those odds, it's extremely improbable that Alex, not just anyone, but Alex specifically, will win the lottery. Oh, but yeah. he goes on to, 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 to do this. And, and so, yeah, so ten, 10 million, one in 10 million is actually a pretty good odds for the, <laughs> for the lottery. I just yeah. want to say that yeah. this thought experiment is already, yeah. Uh, yeah. should, should uh, yeah. dissuade you he from. He should up it with yeah. at least another zero, right? A hundred <laughs> right. million. <laughs> yeah. So again, it goes on to say, imagine, however, that Alex calls you the day of the draw in the, in the state of unprecedented excitement. He's almost hysterical as he screams down the phone, I won the lottery. All right. I got it. I got the winning <laughs> ticket. Run home, Charlie Bucket. The point here is that the probability that an event has occurred can be raised when we have specific evidence for it. In this mm. case, your friend's testimony backed up by his personal trustworthiness. Is wow. Alex a good guy? Is he uh, known for practical jokes or lying? Well, you know, if someone's, uh, if my good friend Alex is on the phone telling me he won lottery and I know he plays lottery, may, that, that puts more um, um, confidence within my um, um, believability in, yeah. in him winning. Yeah. In light of the evidence, it would be perfectly reasonable for you to conclude that your friend has indeed won the lottery. Yeah, so, so the issue here is miracles are improbable. Well, maybe, but if we have the right kind of evidence and that sort of thing, then uh, why they, that doesn't mean that they're, it's unreasonable to claim that something improbable has happened. Mm -hmm. That's the argument that he's trying to make, right? Yeah. So we can, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're reasonable. It's, it can be reasonable in certain circumstances to believe in some improbable event has happened. Mm -hmm. right? yes. So he gives this example of uh, Christopher Hitchens uh, saying, oh, you know, there's this uh, stranger on the, on the bus that comes up to you and says, well, you, you know I was dead, right? And so what confidence do you have in that? Well, in uh, his, uh, his really good debate series with uh, Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson says, okay, now, instead of a stranger on the train, make it your friend who's telling you that you've known for quite some time uh, that he told you he's dead, he was dead, now he's alive. Would that instill greater confidence? Okay, now put the context of Jesus and his disciples. This isn't a stranger coming up to disciples and saying, hey, you know, I've, I was once dead and now yeah. I'm alive. This is a greater confidence right. that we should have. Who predicted his death <laughs> right. and, yeah, and yeah, resurrection. I mean, the, and, again, yeah. we, we can't just take a piecemeal out. We have to put it in a context, a exactly. historical, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, you know, a, a timeline and, and all these things. So it's not a one-to-one uh, -one correlation that uh, skeptics like to, to, yeah. to bring about here. So, uh, so next he talks about the reasonableness of the resurrection. So not just the reasonableness of believing in miracles in general, but the reasonableness of the resurrection. Uh, he says, you know, that we can see the initial improbability of an event isn't a sufficient reason to think that it didn't happen. 
we have to take into account, as you have mentioned there, other factors such as the context of the event, right. the specific evidence that, you know, that it actually occurred and those types of things. Considered entirely in the abstract with no historical context, someone dying and coming back to life and then sitting on the bus and telling you that they did that is an extraordinarily improbable event, right? But clearly, Jesus was no ordinary person, right? If anyone could be described as extraordinary, it would be Jesus. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we do this in our, in our daily lives in, in the court system. You know, why are, why are people that have no connection whatsoever with the crime scene brought in to talk about the people who are talking about things? Well, you know, how well have you known this person? What, what type of character are they? Are they mm. uh, prone to fits of violence? Uh, are they uh, quick to lash out at uh, strangers who... Uh, they might have they attacked anyone before, and so you you bring in other people to talk about the confidence of your witnesses or your uh, uh, suspect or victim or you know whoever it might be. You're bringing in outside people to help bolster the claim of of their believability, and so mm-hmm. that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. And um, Jesus being kind of the central figure of that uh, comes into play here. So the resurrection wasn't a freak supernatural event that happened out of the blue with no connection to other events, right? right. It's, it's not... There's a, a context, right? <laughs> right? It's not a, a, a big wind that blows. Yeah. It happens to part two uh, bodies of water, and all of a sudden these people start streaming across yeah. For, yeah. for no reason whatsoever. No, there's a whole lot more going on, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so quite the contrary, the resurrection was the climax, the, 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 the point of, of all right. history is, is what our claim the is. The high point, here point. Right. right. <laughs> so it was the climax of a series of remarkable events that stretched far back into human history. Genesis 3, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously way before that uh, for for uh, for God's perspective, but uh, for us, we, we, we it kind of comes into play in uh, Genesis 3 there. And in the previous uh, chapter, uh, we talked about this, and then he talked about it, of how Jesus explicitly claimed to be the Messiah, a Savior King, sent from God in fulfillment of numerous Old Testament prophecies. Right. And, you know, some of these prophecies uh, implied that the, this Messiah would also be raised from the dead. Right, right, yeah. He gives us one in Psalm 1610. It says, You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Right? Well, that's pretty straightforward. Now, um, you know, he tells us that uh, Jesus' disciples later pointed out, although this was written by the Israelite King David a thousand years before Jesus was born, it couldn't apply to David himself because David died and his body did decay. Mm-hmm. Right, And so it was pointing forward to one who would die but not stay dead. David was giving us a prophecy is what the apostles argued with regard to this particular passage. Right. right? So Jesus himself confirmed uh, this expectation by explicitly predicting on several occasions, not only that he would be put to death because of his claims, but also that he would rise from the dead. Right. So, uh, kind in, of the, in fact, over and over again, he tells his disciples, "I'm gonna, you know, I'm <laughs> so, gonna rise." So from much the dead. so that yeah. they think that he's talking in parable form, where he's like, "Listen, I'm going to die in three days. I will rise again." Well, what could he mean by this? Why do you speak in these riddles? And then when he speaks in riddles, he's like, or in, in, in these kind of parallels, is he says, "You know, if you if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days." Well, he's talking about the temple. He's he's a terrorist. We need to take him. <laughs> Oh. That's right. Okay. All right. 
take we, out we, the we can we can claim obtuseness a lot, <laughs> even of us. So. Admittedly, the fact uh, that uh, Jesus predicted his own resurrection doesn't prove that the resurrection occurred. But when we put those predictions in context of everything else Jesus said and did, his remarkable teachings, his superlative moral character, his reputation as a miracle worker, it should at least raise our expectations. Again, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about Plantica, we're we're uh, bolstering us against defeaters, and That's so right. we're, we're adding to uh, claims that, that make the probability, I guess, more likely. Well, probability. Probably stay away from that term, but more confidence. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the fact that Jesus was a renowned as a healer and a miracle worker, even among his enemies, is, he tells us, particularly uh, significant, right? So to repeat, Jesus was clearly no ordinary man. Even secular historians will concede that Jesus had a well-established reputation as a miraculous healer an exorcist with supernatural powers over evils and one who possessed the power even to raise the dead. Although, you know, historians disagree about how Jesus gained that reputation, right? right. right? In other words, they agree that he had the reputation. They're not sure how he got the reputation, right? He paid off people. He was a rich man. <laughs> That's right. But uh, Anderson tells us that everything we know about Jesus heightens the expectation that his predictions about his own death and resurrection would come true. Right. All right. In addition to all this, even more. Great. That's good. <laughs> good stuff. There is a solid eyewitness testimony preserved in the New Testament that Jesus didn't stay dead. In the weeks that uh, followed his resurrection, Jesus' disciples had many encounters, which they were absolutely convinced were real meetings with Jesus, physically risen from the dead eats with them, teaches them, talks with them, walks along with them, uh, sits down, rests with them, mm -hmm. all, these, all these important things. It's important to recognize that these weren't uh, fleeting, ghostly apparitions. You know, the, the <laughs> oh, I, I think I see Jesus out yeah. in the distance, yeah. uh, on yeah. the waves. Okay. Can you see it? It's yeah. wavering out there. Yeah. <laughs> the disciples talked with Jesus. They ate with him. They touched him. They had every opportunity to confirm that uh, they weren't hallucinating or seeing a ghost. In fact, when he happens to do ghost-like things like, go into a locked room he says here touch me physically yeah. uh, and, and pr presents himself as a non um, spirit yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's just as important to note that some of the people who testified about seeing jesus alive weren't believers before the, cru right. uh, the crucifixion right so even these folks didn't believe for instance uh, james's half brother before jesus death james was a skeptic Right. You know, in fact, he was claimed, you know, claimed them to be crazy. And that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Come on but, back home. Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. But soon after, you know, his resurrection, uh, James uh, became a leader in the fledgling Christian church in right. Jerusalem. So right. what could have changed James' mind? Right. Another very significant witness is the Apostle Paul. Right. Again, he was one that, uh, you know, <laughs> clearly uh, didn't believe Jesus before the crucifixion, yeah. right? But uh, his testimony is particularly weighty because he's an independent witness with no prior reason to accept the resurrection, Anderson tells us. Right. In fact, he initially persecuted the first converts to Christianity. Had him arrested, had him killed, uh, you know, vehemently was against Christians and then has a thing happened to him somewhere along the way and he completely changes his yeah. entire worldview, his entire life. He, he, he goes away from what he was raised in, what he was known. He was probably on track to, to be part of the Pharisees that hired him to go out and 
terrorize the the early Christians, but then he becomes one of them. Ah, yeah. it's it's like zombies. You know, he's he's added to the to, to the collective. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, in addition to all this, there is solid eyewitness testimony preserved in the New Testament that Jesus didn't stay dead. So, the combined strength of all the eyewitness testimony to Jesus' resurrection is quite remarkable. This wasn't just one or two disciples trying to salvage their master's reputation, seeing how far they could get away with it, <laughs> you know, uh, filling their coffers. I mean, we all know the the extraordinary uh, uh, wealth that the early <laughs> Christians right. seem to exude. And, and uh, you know, we, we know uh, uh, Paul became this very rich, rich person who didn't have to work no, anymore. No, he didn't. <laughs> right. Uh, okay. So, no, uh, hundreds of people from diverse backgrounds, some of whom were initially skeptical and hostile, claimed to have met Jesus alive after his crucifixion on multiple occasions. In fact, you see the early church and you see, again, the, this diverse background, especially the rich and the poor coming together in Rome. Mm. That was that was a dangerous sight for the Romans. You're like, wait a minute. It's one thing for this backwater country of the of the Judeans to, to have their strange God and whatnot. Uh, fine. But now you're starting to take our centurions, our, 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 our rich people, I don't know. We can't. We can't really have that. We we need temple taxes, and, and, and you need to still bolster the state. Right. Many of them were ready to die rather than renounce their testimonies, and defies reason to think that they were either lying or deceived. So mm. this this um, uh, kind of argument from uh, embarrassment and argument from uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, they had something to lose, including their their lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, why, if I if I knew it was a lie, why would I be willing to die for it? Right? Yeah. I mean, that seems like so, yeah. at some point, just renounce it. And yeah. you're, you're fine. Yeah. You know, you, you you put the pinch of incense on the on the altar of Caesar, and you're good to go. Yeah, and, you know. That's okay, right. I'll, I'll just move, and and <laughs> no one will know. Yeah. yeah. So all of this fits neatly into the broader context of the Christian worldview, mm-hmm. right? The resurrection of Jesus isn't some kind of super duper miracle just kind of <laughs> thrown into the Christian worldview to make it a bit more exciting, you know, like extra spice tossed into some soup. Or I mean, it's a like it's that, a right? big claim to to try and holster <laughs> onto people, like you know, it, other than Lazarus, it's not you know well known that anyone kind of died and stayed dead for a bit and then right. came to life. It's a so it's, it's a weird claim, other right. than you know, okay, well, maybe you can hypnotize people to think that they're healed from a disease that you've had, or, or you set up some fake blind people in cities for most of their life, and then you come by and you, you, you heal them, or you, you have people kind of just lie about you. But, I mean, that's a that's a big lie if you're yeah, going to try and, really, try and really. pull but, it on. But notice here, um, this whole resurrection fits into the Christian worldview. It's right. it's part of what we would expect as a result of the Christian worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an integral part of the biblical story, right? right? So it's not just some tack-on type of thing. Death is uh, the just punishment for our rebellion against God, right? And the wages of sin is death, Paul tells us in, in uh, Romans, and our inhumanity towards others, and so the mission of the Messiah was to make atonement for our sins, right? To pay for our sins and to restore us to a right relationship with God. Right. So it's it's part, this whole thing is, is fits in with the whole Christian worldview, the whole Christian story, the whole biblical line. It's not some tag on, oh, and by the way, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and the very fact that Jesus goes to his death and, and seems to, to go to the worst place you could possibly go, which is, the, you know, Jerusalem at the time 
where he's you know more surrounded by his enemies it seems like he's very antagonistic if if it comes to uh to come to a head which it does and uh you know he's betrayed within but he could have you know gone to tyre and sidon went up north and you know kind of stayed away and and you know just separated himself more from the people that that hated him yeah. but he goes in he curses the fig tree he goes and cleanses the temple again like he's doing all the wrong things not That's to right. be killed yeah. and, what and is he thinking it, it, right? yeah, it, it seems like a, a, a weird power play for someone who has so just, he, when he's when he store, starts towards jerusalem i think it's thomas that says okay we're we're, we're fine we're going to our death right yeah. right right yeah, yeah. Even thomas, you're, you're right absolutely yeah. absolutely we'll go yeah. and die too i yeah. guess right <laughs> resign to it <laughs> into the breach all right whatever <laughs> So in one sense, Jesus' re- resurrection is the confirmation that he really was who he claimed to be, and he really did what he claimed to do. Mm-hmm. You know? So mm-hmm. I claim, uh, you know, I'm an important person, and I show that sign by, by dying and, and rising from the dead. I would say that's a, a pretty big power move there that, uh, that would show some semblance of truth to, to, to my claims there, especially within the context. Again, it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a separate, like, Here's this crazy person that says, oh, I, you know, I can fly. And, uh, you know, you say, okay, well, can you prove it? Well, I did, you know, 30 years ago. Well, That's okay. Right. It, it's, it's within a context that has a, a, a system backing it and a, a religious context, a, a social context. Yeah. Right. It's not just a, a singularity event. In some, Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus would make little sense. Right. He was a good teacher. He does a few things. He says, be kind to your neighbors. Great. Okay. He's like Confucianism. Put them on the shelf with the same one. That's right. <laughs> so to the extent that we have reason to believe the other elements of Christian worldview, and we have argue, argued that we do, we also have reason to believe in the resurrection. Right. And so um, I think uh, here is where we'll, we'll stop, and uh, next time we'll finish up this chapter by looking at the unreasonableness of the alternatives. That's right. So we'll, we'll take a look at, you know, okay, if he didn't rise from the dead, then how yeah. else could we explain? Right. Right. And that's what he wants to spend the la- latter part of the chapter on, right? And we'll probably also cover the final chapter. Yeah, with the final chapter is rather short, right. but yeah. And so we'll take a look at that as well. Great. So thanks for joining us. Uh, continue to, to in- enjoy and uh, take books off your shelf, blow off the dust, and uh, <laughs> um, uh, we'll, we'll figure out which ones are next ones. So if you have good ideas, feel free to leave them in the comments below. Uh, and uh, we kind of have an idea of where we want to take it, but uh, always looking for good books to add to our, our empty bookshelf, which I'll have to get another bookshelf to, to make it <laughs> empty and then not fill it up with more That's things. Right. So, so thanks again. Yep. We'll see you next time.